Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 14-15, and 22-24. Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing well. We're glad that you're here. My name is Elijah Daly, and I get to be one of the ministers here on staff. And we are continuing through the series that we have been in the last several weeks called Life Alive. And our hope is that through this, you would begin to see the Holy Spirit produces things in people when they're alive. Everybody in this room is living. (laughs) But the truth is, some of us still feel hints of death. We know the Holy Spirit produces joy and love and peace and patience, man, but sometimes it's hard to escape anxiety and anger and sorrow. And life does not feel so alive when it's being crippled by sin and death. And so we hope really that this series has been one where we can just take a step back and kind of begin to ask some questions of self-assessment, like, who are you? Who am I? What's the Holy Spirit producing? Am I truly alive? And the point is not to say, like, do I have this down perfectly? Like, is my joy and love and and patience, like, the, the best thing that anyone's ever experienced? The point is to ask, is God perfecting me? Am I becoming something? Have I actually grown since I made a good confession in King Jesus? Have I entered the dance of sanctification? which often feels like a sweaty square dance that doesn't really end anywhere. Two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And yet, slowly but surely, we're going somewhere. And today, my prayer, my hope, my my goal is that the Holy Spirit would use someone like me to help us all, myself included, grow in integrity. Integrity. What is integrity? Well, there's a story about an emperor And this emperor is unique because he loves clothes. Now, while most emperors were going about with wars and economics and all these things, this dude loved to show off his status and wealth through what he was wearing. And he heard about these two men who could make these amazing clothes. Not only were their colors and designs beautiful and magnificent, but they had a magical property to them. You see, these clothes became invisible to anybody who either, one, was unfit for their position— or two, was unusually stupid. And the emperor was like, I gotta have these clothes. This way I can know who in my kingdom is unfit for their position, but also I can tell the wise from the fools. And so he commissions these two men to start weaving together these clothes. He sends them material and money, all that they would need, but what they do is they just pocket all of it. And then they act like they're making clothes on these looms that really they're not making anything at all. And the emperor sends his priest to go check out how the work is going. And the priest comes and he, and he walks in and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't see anything. I must not be as smart as I think I am. 
And the two men ask him, how do you like the clothes? And he's like, I love them. They're amazing. And he goes back to the emperor and he tells him how amazing and beautiful the clothes are. And then over time, the emperor is just waiting in anticipation and he sends his official. And the official goes in and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't see the clothes. And realizing what this might mean for his his career, his position. He's like, these are amazing. I love them. And he goes back and he tells the emperor what he's seen and how beautiful they are. And the emperor is ecstatic now. Like the whole kingdom, they know about these clothes. They know about how beautiful they're going to be, but they also know about their magical properties. And everyone is just waiting in anticipation to see these bad boys in action, right? And so there's a parade that's coming where the, where the emperor is gonna walk down the street so everyone can see it. And that day finally comes. And the emperor comes with his official and the priest and they walk in and the official and priest just start gushing over how amazing these clothes are, how beautiful they are, how intricate the design is. And the emperor's like, oh no, I can't see them. And the two men are like, hey, how do you like them? And the emperor's like, I love them, they're great. And they're like, do you want us to put them on you for you? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. And so they come and they strip him down naked. And they say, now listen, the, the, the quality of this fabric, of this material, it's so light, you won't even feel it. He's like, well, obviously. And so they put, him, they put the clothes, they put the clothes on him and the official and the priest, they come and they act like they pick up the train of the robe so that they can walk him down the street in the parade. And he starts walking down the street and the whole kingdom gathers around to see these clothes. And there's just silence for a moment until all of a sudden they start shouting, how beautiful, how amazing, how marvelous. And they shout all these things until a child comes. And he says, he's naked. And everyone realizes what everyone suspected. And they start muttering around themselves like, oh my gosh, he's naked. <laughs> he's not wearing anything. He's naked. He's naked. But the emperor can't admit it now. And so he walks the whole way naked, acting like he's clothed in beauty, but completely exposed. What is integrity? Integrity is faithfulness faithfulness to what we know is true in every situation, in every circumstance. It's every principle we believe in, all the moral behavior that we believe is good. It's every part of who we are. It's the child acknowledging what he knows is true. He's naked. And today we're going to look at three aspects of integrity. The first is the goal of integrity. Next, we're gonna look at the challenges and then the cause of integrity. So if you are somebody, you're like, I'm a note taker. I like to know where we're headed. I don't wanna be surprised. That's where we're going. The goal of integrity, the challenge of integrity, the cause of integrity. So let's look at the goal of integrity. We're gonna be in Ephesians 4. So if you wanna flip in your Bibles there, you can head there, Ephesians 4, verse 14. Let's look what it says. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is the goal of integrity? To live a life consistent with our identity. Identity, who you are, do you know? 
You see, this is a subject we are obsessed with right now. Our world loves to talk about identity. And it's funny because it seems as though our world is in an existential crisis. We don't know who we are. And it seems like every year there is a new test that comes out to tell us more about who we are. I'm a color. I'm an animal. I'm a house. I'm a series of letters. I'm a number. We have all these tests and tools of self-discovery. And if those things aren't helping us, then we begin to mold our, and shape ourselves based off of who we think people want us to be or how we feel, what we desire in the given moment. And it's tiring, isn't it? It's tiring. I had a professor that once said, if you want people to change, don't tell them what to do. Show them who, who they are. But man, what if, what if everyone's telling us who we are? What if we are being bombarded on every single side by an image we, are, we should be conformed to? How do we navigate this, this tension? And it feels schizophrenic that every time we try to examine our, ourselves and our lives, it can become easy to just try to mold ourselves and live in a certain way for people. We, we become chameleons, adjusting as we move into different groups of people, as we try to understand what they believe is good, what we think might be good. But we can never live consistently with our identity if we aren't confident in what that identity actually entails. You see, what we want, what I believe we all long for, myself included, is an identity that is fulfilling and it's unshakable and it's real. And that's why the second goal of integrity is to be unmoved by falsehood. You see, the first goal of integrity is that we'd live a life consistent with our identity, but the second one is like that we wouldn't be moved away from it once we know what it is. Paul says that sometimes new believers, they're like infants on a ship and the wind comes and it rocks them around. It's kind of a weird image that he uses there. I don't know if you've ever been on like a, a train or a subway uh, uh, at the airport or something. You get on there and you go and you grab the pole, stabilize yourself, but there's always that one dude just there with arms crossed, like I don't need the pole or whatever. And then as soon as that thing starts, no matter what, it just jolts forward a little bit. He ends up grabbing the pole at the end, no matter what. It always happens. And it's weird, but this is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying new believers, they're like infants on a ship. They have no control over their, their muscles or their limbs, and they're just being thrown around this boat as the wind pushes it back and forth, back and forth. And that's how we become when new teachings come in that sound good and they look nice, but man, it feels an awful lot like death. And we just feel this longing, like maybe this isn't quite right. Maybe this is more lies, more deceit. And man, there's a lot of teaching on identity right now, isn't there? Now, it's important to note, Paul's not saying the wind won't come. He's saying too many of us lack the knowledge and belief to stand when it does. When the lies come, when the deceit comes, can we see it clearly? Are we aware of it? Paul says the goal of integrity is that you can, that you can be faithful to what you know is true and you can live it out at each moment. And this is the last goal of integrity, right? Live consistently with who we are. Don't be shaken by it from falsehood and be able to embody it every step of the way, to be compelled by truth. He says in verse 15 that instead of just being bombarded by lies, like just keep being bombarded, we should actually push against those lies with truth. Truth, speak the truth in love, in love, a necessary qualifier. You see, Paul calls us to have knowledge and belief, but also have action. And he gives us three. He says, speak the truth, 
Take off that old identity, those old clothes, and put on the new. Put on the new. He says you must actively put on the new identity. And this identity he talks about, he's saying this is the one that you really want. This is the one that is fulfilling and unshakable and real. No more insecurity. No more fragility. Here it is. Here's what he says. To understand that we are in Christ. That we are his legs and his hands and his chest and his feet. And he's our head. And we're being conformed into his image one step at a time into the image of God. And in layman's terms, what he's saying is, you don't work at Hardee's anymore. Take the uniform off. You work at Chick-fil-A now, okay? <laughs> Integrity is faithfulness. Faithfulness to what you know is true. And the goal is that whatever new philosophy or influence or fad may come along, we would know exactly who we are. We would not just be able to have belief, but embody it every step of the way. This is when we feel most alive and less like a fake shouting in the streets about robes that don't exist. But this is a lot easier said than done. <laughs> There's challenges. Let's look at the challenges of integrity. Now you can turn your Bibles to Luke 4, verse 1. That's where we're going to be. And it becomes really clear and an obvious picture when integrity becomes challenged when we start to look at the life of Jesus. So Luke 4, 1 through 13 says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Do you see the challenge of integrity? What makes it so difficult? It becomes clear quickly. The first is the challenge of our appetite, right? Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't eat anything. He was hungry. Of course he was hungry. He had a desire for food and the, and the devil tries to use that, that desire, that appetite against him. And he says, man, if you're the son of God, you could just turn these stones into bread and eat. Now, is it wrong for Jesus to turn stones into bread? It was right now. Because at this moment, Jesus had already made a decision of who he was, what he was going to do. And to turn stones into bread at this moment would be to compromise his integrity of who he was. See, the, the desire to turn stones into bread isn't bad. And the truth is, our desires are not always corrupt. They're usually geared towards good things. Like most of our desires, our appetites are for joy and love and peace. But man, we end up putting them and trying to achieve them in the wrong things a lot of times. Our desires, man, we're like, we're like archers shooting at, at the wrong target and like wondering why we lack joy when we hit it. 
And our appetites and desires become terrible compasses as we try to understand who we are and we settle for cheap imitations. And then the next challenge is the challenge of our disbelief. You see, the devil brings Jesus to the top of the temple and he says, do you really believe what God told you? Do you really believe his word? Do you really believe he will save you? Do you really believe that? And Jesus responds, I believe so much that he will that I don't have to do it at all. I don't have to test God. I can trust him. But we are constantly challenged by disbelief. And here's the thing. It usually just slowly but surely creeps into our life. Like it's, not, it's rarely a hot and cold type thing. We rarely have a proposition where we're like, do you believe this or do you believe that? And then we change. It's like over time we start to wonder like, man, is that really true? Is this really good? Is this really helpful? Is this really healthy? We see it all the time. It's hard to exactly know when culture's like constantly dressing things up as beautiful that are really ugly, putting lipstick on pigs and putting a mask on things. It's hard to know what's love and justice anymore when it gets tweaked just a little bit and our belief starts to move or change. And the doubt, man, the doubt, that's what leads us to following the flaws of the masses. Our doubt leads us to, to, to following flaws instead of the faithfulness of the master. Now, don't get me wrong. Doubt is not a bad thing. Doubt only becomes a negative when it makes us believe something that isn't true. And the last challenge that we see in this story is the challenge of our adversary. You see, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is met pretty quickly by the devil. And I get it. Some people don't believe in the devil. But the truth is, Jesus did. So I did. So I do. <laughs> and it will be a whole lot easier to resist and defend your true identity when you know that there's somebody trying to tempt you from it. And the devil approaches Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, if, if, and the greatest, one of the, one of the devil's greatest schemes is to try to compromise who you really are, who your identity is. He starts to get into your head, but Jesus doesn't need to prove a thing. You see, he was sent due to the Father's will and he was faithful and he was obedient to that will and how it revealed itself in scripture and how he experienced it in his relationship with the Father and the devil was out of tricks. Do you know that the word devil literally means slanderer? And yet he had nothing to slander Jesus about. He was absolutely faithful. But the challenge for us is that that's not always true. His arsenal is a lot fuller. You see, to Jesus, the devil says, if you are the son of God, do this. But to us, he says, if you are a child of God, why did you do this? You're no child of God. You're a fake. See, those slanders can become a lot more powerful when they're true. And the the truth is we begin to respond in two different ways. You see, the irreligious, they will just stop trying to fight the challenges at all. They just won't even combat it. Instead, they just embody their desire. They're like, if this is what my body wants, if this is what my mind wants, I'm going to experience it. I'm going to live in it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to curb it in any way. I'm going to create my own truth instead of trying to, to mold myself to something outside of me. And they say, I'm going to create my truth and believe it and embody it no matter the cost. Integrity to the irreligious is integrity to their feelings. And their adversary isn't the devil. It's anyone who disagrees with them. 
It's anybody who stands against who they choose to be. But the religious, it's the opposite. They have the opposite problem. You see, they try to, to be perfect. They try to withhold the challenge or avoid the challenges at all costs. And they try to cut people out of their life that might be holding them back. And they try to be perfect by their own muscle and strength. And they're going to believe as much as possible. And if they fail, they're going to beat themselves up and try again, no matter what. And they have to put on a mask of virtue signaling and, and allowing people to see their morality every step of the way. And man, it's tiring. You see, the problem for the religious and the irreligious is that they have to muscle that identity on their own and it's impossible to maintain. Man, it leaves us feeling that guilt and the shame and the disappointment that we have all felt and it's tiring and it's insecure and it's fragile and it constantly just feels like a performance. And we were trying to escape the anger and the anxiety and the sorrow and yet it plunges us further into it. You see, the irreligious, they want to be known and loved on their own terms. And the religious, they want to earn love on somebody else's. And neither of these will do. Neither of them will do. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome the challenges? How do we reclaim our identity and live faithfully to it? Well, let's look at the cause of integrity. The cause of integrity. You see, Christianity differs in every respect fundamentally from every religion and irreligion in a most fundamental way is that integrity is not something we establish. It's something that is established in us. The only way we will have an unshakable, fulfilled, real identity is that, and and be able to withstand the challenges, is when something else comes in. Is that when that cause brings into our life something that we could not manifest or bring about, manufacture on our own. And listen, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus was the only one who could withstand the challenges perfectly. And Satan tried to, tried to trip him up, didn't he? He brought him stones to make the bread and kingdoms and rescue. And he says, if you are the son of God, you won't suffer. You won't be a servant. You won't die. And he says, no, 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 no. That's exactly what I came to do. In fact, that's what we see in Luke 23 when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the people gather around and they say, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. And that's what the Roman soldiers said when they come to the cross and they say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. It's what the criminal next to him says, if you are the Messiah, save us and yourself. Man, this looks nothing like the son of God. And do you want to know why? Because it was the cost of making us one. This is the gospel, plain and simple. And I had a coworker share this earlier this week. Such a beautiful and concise way to put it. You see, the gospel reminds us that our best is never good enough, but that our worst will never disqualify us. The truth is, Jesus was the faithful one whose integrity was never compromised. And even when the challenges came, he allowed himself to be faithful and his faithfulness redeems the faithlessness of his people. And now we're clothed in robes and they're not fake and magical. They're robes of the king. And this is why we get to celebrate with Paul in Romans 8 when he says, therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life who gives, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And he continues on in verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, when our, identi- when our identity is in Christ, the Spirit moves in. The Spirit moves in and it begins to produce something and renovate and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it takes a long time, but it's doing something. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes what happens when God comes in. He says, imagine yourself as a living house and God moves in and he starts to fix things up, put the drain straight, fix up the patch up the leaks in the roof. And you get that because you knew that stuff needed to be done. But then all of a sudden he starts getting crazy, knocking walls down, moving everything out and it hurts. And you're like, God, what are you doing? But the truth is he's building a much different house than you expected. He's putting towers up, a second floor and courtyards and wings all over the house because you thought you were supposed to be a small, decent little cottage, but he's making you into a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. You see, when God comes in, that dance of sanctification begins. Two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And over time, surely, but slowly, but surely, the anger, the anxiety, the sorrow, they begin to be turned to, to patience and peace and joy and love. And the best part about it is that God does not have to be done for us to experience life alive. And my hope, my goal, my prayer this morning is that today we take more than two steps, we take a hundred. As we begin to acknowledge that in Christ, we have integrity and faithfulness and goodness as children of God. So throw out the teachings that are leading you away, delete the distractions, abandon the obstacles, follow the truth. Because the truth is, when we live faithfully to it, church, that when we have faith in the King, faith in the Father, all that he's done, we are children of God. His integrity, it ensures ours. His faithfulness produces ours. What a great, patient God we serve. That our achievements don't get us far and our failures don't disqualify. I wanna pray for you. Father God, you are good and faithful and true and we continue to take steps toward you today, praying that you come in and you change things. You move things around. God, we know it can take a long time, longer than we would like. Sometimes it just hurts, but your grace is sufficient for us. And our weakness becomes the stage for your glory as you show us your strength and you move us aside and you produce what we never could on our own. Father, we love you. And today we pray that we could respond as your family in your house, offering the truth that the lies and the deceit would run, that freedom would break out. 
And it's in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus, that we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.